Amen. Come on, can we just give God some praise for a moment? Thank you, worship team and everybody. You can grab your seat. I am, uh, I'm going to kick off or continue what we started last week. Last week, I brought a message just off of our normal preaching calendar to talk about what in the world is going on. And we talked about the crisis in Israel, how not just from a, a, a hurting heart standpoint or a humanitarian focus, but like, what is God up to? Why are things so bleak, so dark? What, what kind of days are we living in? And we don't talk about those things just to bring information, but ultimately we believe it brings transformation when we know that no matter what is facing or what's going on in the world, that God has a response for his church, for his people, for his, for his family. And I wanna continue some of that today and I believe it's going to speak to you in a very, very tangible, real, and powerful way. Uh, can we welcome those online watching and tuning in and those at Lansing as well? You know, yesterday, yesterday I, I ran a half marathon, the KC Half Marathon. There are a couple guys in the church. A bunch of us ran. A couple guys ran the full marathon. Overachievers. Show us. And I'm not really a runner. Um, I don't wake up every day thinking, man, I can't wait to go get that run in. Uh, I don't really have a plan for running in my week, my month, my year, my life. But I knew we were, we were raising awareness and some support for uh, a group we sponsor, and, and as well as the House of Hope. And, and so I did it a couple years ago. I said, you know what, I'm going to do it again. And um, it was difficult. It was really hard. Uh, I set a time goal, though, because like, if I have something to aim for, I've got something to focus on. And I set this goal, and I will tell you right now, the grace of God and just guts carried me through. It's about 12 miles in. I, uh, little, like, I just had this piercing pain in my ab. I say ab because there's not six of them. There's just, <laughs> just one. And it was like someone shot me with an arrow. And immediately, I was like, ah, this might not happen. And we were well on our way to crush the goal that we set, and we just barely, we barely made it. Praise God. Um, but I remember thinking, as soon as it was done, it's like, it's great to gut it out, and it's great to be able to just to push through, but preparation is so important. Like, there's certain places of your life you cannot just gut it out. Like, preparation is actually what is really, what is truly needed. In other words, no amount of guts can replace preparation. And this is what I'm believing for us as a church, even in this message today, that we're prepared. We're prepared for what God is doing. We're prepared for what God wants to do next. We're prepared for this, what I believe is a move of God that's gonna happen on the earth, that he would get us prepared. There's a very interesting subculture that's out there in the world. They're like the, the preppers. The doomsday preppers, any of us that are old enough to remember Y2K, you know that when the computers, like when the, the millennia started, the new one, the, the computers were gonna crash and the world as we know it was gonna be over. I remember where I was and you know, December 31st at the stroke of midnight, 1999, I was a high school senior and I remember on the radio as we were driving in our car, uh, REM song, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine was on. And guess what? That's what happened. It ended up just being fine. People that put all their beans and cans and everything and, and stocked up on ammo and all that stuff in the basement, they're probably still eating those things today. 
They stockpiled everything to survive some sort of apocalypse that never happened. Why they were fear-focused for something that didn't happen. And last week, when now it's two weeks in, this war in Israel, this war in Eastern Europe. This week it's escalated. China's sending warships and Iran is backing other terrorist organizations from other countries to bombard Israel. It feels like there's this opening door to a third world, world war. And while I do believe we need to be aware and watchful and prayerful, I think we also have to know that we need to be faith-filled, not fearful. Don't join in all the noise and the infighting. Know that God has a response. God wants to prepare you. He wants you to be well prepared. And I, I believe when we start searching scripture, like we did last week, and seeing about the prophetic things that God is saying that haven't happened yet, it's not there just for more knowledge or information or to make you spiritually elite. It's there for you to be in tune and in time with what the Spirit of God is doing, that we would know what to do, and this is big, and know what to prioritize. What does God prioritize in times of crisis? So what in the world is going on? You can open up your Bibles, and some of you will do it more excited than other weeks, because this is stuff you love, to the book of Revelation. Chapter one, chapter three. First verse of Revelation says, hey, this is a, a revealing a revelation of Jesus Christ. It shows us things that happen historically and talks about the spirit of this world and, and how God's gonna make it all new one day again. Revelation means unveiling, revealing, uncovering, showing us what is hidden. And I pray that today, not, not in some sort of eschatological end times way, but there'd be some uncovering of some potential things that have been living under the surface of your life. Reveal some things that God would say by his spirit are problematic to your, to your potential. And then he would, he would revive you to the purpose of heaven for our lives, for your life. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of prophecy, John writes. And blessed are those that hear it and take heart to what is written in it. Because the time is near. It says, take heart. To what's written because the time is near. Now that was 2,000 years ago. I think what he's talking about is not that there's a, a, a ticking down of a clock, but there's a change in seasons that happened back then that we're still experiencing today. So if it was true 2,000 years ago, how many of you know it's true today? But it says not, not understand in your mind, not comprehend, not be able to explain it to everyone with some sort of big book of Revelation chart. No, but that you would take to heart, not head. In other words, there's some practical ways and spiritual ways to be prepped for what God is doing. And so today we're actually gonna look at some, what I think is the most applicable part of the book of Revelation. And it's these challenges that Jesus issues to the church. In fact, it's seven churches. Chapters one, two, and three, Jesus writes a letter. Come on, Jesus gives a report card. Some of you remember, you were counting down the days so you got the report card so you could beat your mom or dad to the mailbox. It's like, what's on the, how did I actually do? And Jesus is measuring these seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and saying, hey, this is where you're at, and this is what I have for you. This is where you've got it right, and this is where you're missing it. And I think if God is speaking to our church, if God is speaking to the American church, he could say a whole lot of, this is what you're doing well. 
This is where you got it going on. This is good and well done. And then he also would say, hey, let me reveal. Let me bring revelation. I said things underneath the surface that might need to change. These are things I desire for, for you. And so these letters to seven churches, they really, they form like this horseshoe semicircle in, in Asia Minor that a, a diplomat or a, represent, a representative of, a, of the emperor, the Roman Empire, would go to each and every one of these cities and, and declare and proclaim, hey, this is what the emperor is saying. These are the changes in the law. This is what needs to be addressed. This is what you need to focus on. But what these serve to us here 2,000 years later is the king, Jesus, telling us what to focus on in the kingdom. He comes to us and he says, hey, these are things that I desire to be different in your life. Jesus is sending these messages to the church and we can learn from them today to change our mentality as people that have said, hey, we are underneath voluntarily, wholeheartedly underneath the rule of King Jesus. He writes first to the church in Ephesus. It's a busy church. They got a lot going on. There's a lot of good things that they're doing, but they're out of order. It says, hey, you need to return back to your first love, to the church in Smyrna. He says, you're suffering. You're in difficult days. Stay strong. Help is on the way. In, in Pergamum, he says, you're confused. You don't know the right thing to do. Let me give you some clarity. In, in Thyatira, they were overly tolerant to the world. The culture of the world had bombarded their church. It says, hey, come back to truth. In Sardis, it's a dying church. And he says, hey, you need to come back alive again. In Philadelphia, the church in West Philadelphia where Fresh Prince was born and raised, he says, don't slap Chris Rock. You look like a fool. No. It's a growing church. And Jesus says, hey, help me, let me help you align so you can keep growing. And Laodicea is where we're going to spend today. Uh, one day, maybe I'll do all seven churches and different Sundays, but this is a complacent church. This is a church that's right in the epicenter of culture and significantly. Laodicea is the most significant city of all seven, the most prosperous city of all seven of the churches. And he says, hey, you're complacent. You're complacent. So that's what we're going to focus on today. So what in the world is going on? Uh, we're going to talk about today overcoming apathy, the complacency in the church, that there's no place, leave no place for just settling down to the culture around you, blending in with the world, no place for complacency so we can be prepped and prepared to fulfill our purpose. Can we pray? Come on, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your scripture, especially as we tackle a book that can be so misunderstood, misused, maybe for some can produce fear. We pray that today, by the grace of God and the direct voice of the Holy Spirit to every individual, it produces faith. It reveals where, maybe where we're on the right track and where we, we might need a subtle reminder, where we might need a redirection, maybe even a repentance to turn direction. Lord, I thank you through it all that you would speak to Kingdom City Church, every individual, even our guests here today, that where they've grown apathetic, that you've got a better way, a passionate way. So there is a greater purpose for us to fulfill. God, I thank you through it all. We pray for what's going on in the world. We thank you that you're king over everything. 
And yet in the midst of all the crisis in this world, you have a people, it's the church, the church of Jesus Christ here in Kansas City, here around the globe. And that we would own our opportunity and own these moments so that we can see as you want it here on the earth, as it is established in heaven, let it be the reality of earth and the reality of our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen? What in the world is going on? In 80, 81 to 96, there was a new sheriff in town, Emperor uh, Domitian, took over for Nero. Nero was publicly persecuted the church, killed all the Christians. It was the greatest, percentage-wise, the greatest movement of martyrdom in, in the history of the followers of Jesus Christ. But Domitian was a little sneakier. He controlled culture. He would allow you to worship Jesus, but you had to worship the emperor and the empire above Jesus. In other words, you had to worship the world. The, the church had the outward pressure of the emperor, and they had some inward problems as well. So culture wasn't the only problem. There was also chaos in the church, the attacks from within. There, there was uh, false teaching and false prophets there were power struggles and power plays in the church. There was gossip and slander. There was idolatry and immorality. The, the, the devil always has a plan or a, a, a way to try to destroy the church of Jesus Christ in its infancy. And although it had brought pain and problems, ultimately we know we're here today because the enemy's plan did not work. The, the church was protected, the church was made whole, and the right people carried on the purpose of God. In the same way, it hasn't succeeded in 2,000 years, I pray that we would stay in tune to what God is saying so that we can carry it on for future generations and those yet to come. But no one ever plans on growing complacent. No marriage, no, marriage, no one ever wants to mail in their marriage and get it down to, to lukewarm. No one ever desires apathy. It just happens. It happens over time. It happens through distractions. It happens through chasing pursuits that don't ultimately fulfill. It happens by, not by just by chance, but sometimes with carelessness. It happens because you don't set right priorities. Apathy is not that you're directly opposed to something. It's just you're not fully engaged. It's those that sit back and do nothing. And I think it happens a lot. I think in the American church, we can say there's a whole lot of apathy. There's a whole lot of uh, me-focused. And I think God, who, who loves you so deeply, sent Jesus for you. But also, you come alive to him because you have a, a bigger part to play in the purpose of heaven. I think those that get critical, apathetic, cynical, and complacent like to to look at everyone else and what they're doing wrong. And I think it's one of the greatest dangers alive in the church is that we get distracted off of mission and purpose because of this me mentality. Instead of being the people that, although we're far from perfect, we roll up our sleeves and engage. And I'm just here to declare for us at Kingdom City, sideline Christianity doesn't exist here. Like there are seasons where you need to be strengthened. It's not that every weekend has to be a serve or a sacrifice season. It's just we're not going to allow the culture of the world to change the culture of the kingdom or the culture of the church. Just a, this, this letter that we're going to read in just a moment, it's a, it, it, it's a warning to those that just want to stay on the spiritual sidelines. Remember, it's written to the church, not just to the city. 
It's written to those who say, I believe in Jesus, and this is the city that I live in. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Jesus says to the angel of the church of Laodicea, he writes, these are the words of the amen. It's interesting language there. Jesus is saying, he's the amen. The so be it. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. And these are his words. This is his so be it word to the church. The faithful and true witnesses, the, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. In other words, you're doing some things, but you're not hot nor are you cold. You're not cold or hot. I wish that you were one or the other. We'll dig into that in just a moment. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus' words, not Pastor Kyle's. You say I am rich and I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you don't realize is that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fires so that you can become rich or, or really rich, truly rich, where it really matters. And, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. We'll break down all three of those in just a moment and why that was so important in the context of the people that it was originally intended for this letter and how it could speak to us here 2,000 years later. But he says, because you're neither hot nor you're cold, but you're lukewarm, I, I have no place for you. Look at the word there for spit of It's like, I want to throw up which is exactly what I did in the race yesterday and kept going a good old-fashioned puking round. <laughs> Jesus is saying, it kind of makes me sick to my stomach. Laodicea did not have a water supply to fit the size of the city because of its prosperity. It began to boom. But there were a couple towns near that they thought, hey, we can take from them their resource. There's Heropolis. Heropolis had this hot water, uh, natural baths that would produce healing and, and health and rejuvenation. And then there was uh, Colossae, where we get the, the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossian, Colossians. I could say that one time. And, and they had refreshing water, like the best water. And so what they did, because they didn't have enough for themselves, is that they would bring it in. They would, they, they would carry it in. Uh, but what they... When they brought the hot water in, by the time it got to the city, it lost its benefit because it had become lukewarm. And, and the, the water from Colossae was, was refreshing. So they built this amazing system of aqueducts. Just think of like a pipeline for them to get the water in. But by the time it got there, it would go through the hot sun. It also would be lukewarm. And what you need to understand is lukewarm is not something anyone ever chooses intentionally. It's just the byproduct of the environment. None of us decided, hey, I want to be apathetic in my marriage. I want to be apathetic in the raising of my kids. I really don't want to put my whole heart into anything. I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. No one chooses that, but by not choosing intentionally to be passionate or useful, you will ultimately become like the environment around you. And this happens to all of us, pastors included. You've got to learn how to be intentional 
and stoking the fires and in being refreshed. And if you do not do these things, you'll just blend into the culture. And some of you, just even by reading that letter, you're challenged already. The Holy Spirit's already working on your heart. It's like, yep, there's some places in me. I know I got to get back to, 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 to the beginning. I need to get back to the right place. I need to get the right heart. I need to get the right attitude. I pray that all of us, by the end of the time here today, by the end of the last prayer, that there's at least a place that the Holy Spirit highlights and pinpoints in your heart that he wants you to not just like, come back from the place that you regressed from, but to make more progress into. Because it happens to all of us because of the world that we live in. My question to you is, where did you cool off? What, what, was it a season? Was it a struggle? Was it an unanswered prayer? Was it a difficult relation? What caused you to, to grow apathetic? Maybe it's this, where, where have you compromised? Where do you just look like the culture around you? Or maybe just a little bit more of a Christian version. A little more of a Chick-fil-A version of the world that's around you. Where'd you compromise? To become lukewarm is to become like the world around you instead of living for the purpose of God in this world. There's room temperature Christians all over. There's room temperature Christians in this room. And today I pray that God ignites again that divine purpose which you were created for. Some of you are are chameleon Christians, that you are one way in this room and another way in a different room. You're one way in the office and you're a different way in different cultures. You're one way at the golf course than you are when you're at your kid's game. You're one way in your home and you're different here in God's house. And by the way, if that's you, welcome to the club. All of us have this character redefinement that God is doing, but to be a person of integrity means that we're integrated, that there's no fractions or places that we have sealed off to what God wants us to be and who God's called us to be. So apathy is where you don't care like you used to care. You know, you can keep things hot for a while or cold by, by choosing some different strategies and systems, naturally speaking. I mean, how many love like the technological marvel that is the Yeti cup or cooler? Hello. I mean, it's like a miracle. I was like, is this witchcraft? How is this still hot? It's because it's insulated. It's insulated. But you know, no matter how much insulation is there, it's only a matter of time before the ice melts or the hot coffee cools because you can never insulate it enough to stop the environment from impacting it. And some of you love a little insulated world. Some of you love that I'm going to keep all those people out there and I've got my crew or maybe it's just you by yourself and I'm not going to let anyone into my marriage or I've just got my kingdom crew, I've got my connect group and if I just have us four and no more, I can keep everything else at bay but it's only a matter of time before the environment impacts you as well. Another strategy would be to microwave things. You know, things that you microwave get hot quick but they also cool down quick. Anyone ever notice that? Also, like microwave food doesn't taste as good. Like it changes like the molecular makeup of it. So although it is a quick solution, it doesn't solve the problem. I think many of us, we're looking for quick fixes. I'm gonna do a quick one day, one hour of prayer. I'm gonna do, a, I'm gonna, my marriage is struggling. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do one moment of prayer and I think that's gonna be fixed. 
I'm going to catch fire again. I'm going to catch fervency again. I'm going to catch passion and purpose again. And I'm just going to, if I could just do this one, two, three step to solve a problem. And by the way, all those things are beneficial and blessed, but you can't just live for quick fixes. Because you cannot fix the world around you. What you have to do is fix yourself to the one who is changing all things. So really the only solution would like to take your cup of coffee and you put it on the old hot plate that's connected to a power source. I mean, that thing, as long it is connected to the source, is going to be just at the right temperature. If you want to overcome apathy for those that are taking notes, you need to learn to align yourself with the source. It's not something that you visit. It's not something that you go to every once in a while. It's what you're choosing to be consistently connected to. Jesus says this in John 15. Jesus has, honestly, this is in your face message from Jesus, just like this letter he wrote to the churches. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. In other words, if you're in, you already know I'm in. For, you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Fruitfulness is talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the good things of God, the, the bounty and blessing of heaven in your life only comes from being aligned to the source. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those that remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Not just enough, more than enough. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Original language there in the Aramaic means nothing lasting. In other words, you can fake it for a moment, but before you know it, it won't be there. Anyone who does not remain in me, verse 6, is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Jesus' words again, not mine. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, I love this. Listen to this. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. What a difference connection makes. What a difference alignment can make in our life. Not just fruit, but we can ask for more. Not that we just like produce. No, connection takes us from being thrown away to being Access granted to anything that we want to ask of God, to ask and receive. Because ultimately what I know Jesus is saying, when you get me and you and I'm, you're connected to me and your words are in your, my words are in your life, then you're going to be able to have the right heart to ask for all the right things that heaven actually wants to produce. So you're not just trying to barely make it to Sunday so that your marriage doesn't fall off the rails. You're actually staying close to him and your marriage begins to produce fruit again. And you can start asking for more from God himself and you will receive it if you stay in that place of divine alignment. See, the problem with apathy is not this that you won't produce. It's that you won't get to receive all that God has for you. It's not what God's trying to get from you. Ultimately, it's about what God's trying to do for you. We see it later at the end of the passage today that this church literally closes the door on Jesus. He's right there on the outside, but they don't allow him on the inside. And if he's not on the inside, you don't have that divine energy, that grace of God at work in your life. Secondly, if you're going to overcome apathy, you've got to admit that you cannot meet your own needs. And we're here, I think this is the problem for us in the Western Church, American Church, Kansas City Church, Kingdom City Church, is that we're pretty sufficient in getting things done. 
We live in such great technological advancement and career moves, and you can hustle and grind your way forward pretty well. But Jesus says, hey, what you call rich and what I call rich are two different stories. What you call well-clothed and what I call well-clothed, it's two different scenarios. What you see with your own ointment and what I will show you with my vision for your life are two different pictures. Jesus says, if you think you're rich and you've got it made, you think you can take care of yourself. No, you need to understand you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked apart from me. In other words, you cannot make it on your own. I think that's true for us just in the kingdom of God. Do you know there's passages that the Apostle Paul and even Jesus himself, like not, not just suggestions, commandments from God's word that you cannot fulfill in insulation. You cannot fulfill in isolation. In other words, you cannot obey them just on your own. You need a community of faith. You need a connect group to belong to. You need a place of serving. You need a place where you're pouring and investing your life. That's why God gives you his Holy Spirit. That's why God gives you a church. That's why God grows you in community. God gives you places and opportunities to use your time, talent, and treasure to do something that's bigger than you. That's how you produce fruit that remains. To overcome apathy thoroughly, all you, all you really need, Jesus has. When you start realizing, I can't make the most significant moves that truly matter in my life by myself, but then everything I'm lacking, Jesus has in ample supply. He has more, more than enough. He says, buy from me. Jesus is making you like barter with me. You can have what I have for you. What does he have for us? Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all that are weary. You're worn out right now? He says, you haven't come close to Jesus. If you're heavy burdened, if you come to me, I will give you, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you tranquility in the midst of crisis. If you come to me, if you stay connected to me, John 7, 37, Jesus stood up and said with a loud voice. So I'm very much like Jesus when I'm yelling at you up here this morning. By the way, I always get louder when you get quieter. If you want me to quiet down, be louder. <laughs> if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In other words, I've got something that will satisfy the driest places of your soul. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life, and the one who comes to me will never, ever be hungry. In other words, I've got what really satisfies. Matthew 6, 33, a passage that many of us know. He says, all the pagans are worried, all the unbelievers are worried about how, what will I wear and what will I eat and where will I live. That's how unbelievers are supposed to think. That's not how believers think, because why? We have a priority. We're not apathetic on the priority of the kingdom of God. We seek first the kingdom of God in God's ways, his righteousness, and all these things that we need are added to, to us. So he talks to the people later to see about what? About gold, clothes, and, and salve. Ointment, ointment for their eyes. Again, this is the most remarkable city of the seven. Here's why. It was the center of the business hub for Asia Minor. It would be like having an office on Wall Street as if you had a, a financial business in Laodicea. They were also the fashion center of the, era, of the, of the region. They had this famous black wool like, that was like almost purple in appearance. It was soft and it was the warm, it was the highest technological advancement in your gear you could get. It was the right fit. 
Laodicea wall. Ooh, wee, that was like the Gucci of Asia Minor. It was the best of the best. So everyone knew that's where you would get it, and if you had it, it showed that you had status and significance and wealth. Also, there was a temple outside the city. It was really more like a, like a medical school. It was called Minkaru. And there, the most famous one of their ointments or treatments was a, a salve or ointment for your eyes that could clear up just the common problems that people had in seeing. If you had an eye problem, that's where you went. And so Jesus is saying, I counsel you to buy from me, not gold like the world has it, but gold that's been purified by fire. I, I counsel you to get your clothing from me, to not look like the rest of the city but look like someone who's set apart differently. I, I, I counsel you to buy from me, not the, the way the world sees things, but get a God vision for your life. So he's talking about spiritual things, but he's saying you need to buy some things because he knew his audience and how they were trying to get their needs met by fitting into the city around them. They were shopping for significance. He says, put me first. Buy from me. Come after me. Put me first in your finances, and you'll have real wealth. He says, put me first in your fashion or your outward appearance. And, and he said, you, what we have, you'll have this white robe, this white fit. Come on, you'll, you'll look like you worked at the Cheesecake Factory, white clothes. <laughs> when everyone else is wearing black, you're wearing white. He's talking about spiritually speaking, so you can still have everything else but you just don't look like the world around you. You fit different because you don't fit in. And don't get your vision by just the way Laodicea does it. Get a kingdom vision for your life. Revelation 3, verse 19, same passage. Those who I love, I, what, I rebuke. I discipline. So what? be earnest and repent. Repent, uh, it's, Big spiritual word is used all the time like it's groveling. Big. No, it literally means I've just changed direction. You're apathetic. You're lukewarm. You don't have to be. You can stay forever connected to the source, and let's change the way we're doing this thing. I love how the New Living Translation says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. There's that, that apathy again. Fathers, we discipline our children. Mothers, we discipline our children, not to punish them or prove a point, but to release potential, to perfect them in this season, for them to make progress, to propel them further. I'm not mad at them just because they made a mistake. I discipline them, not out of anger, but out of love, so that I can release the fullness of their potential. I turn off the YouTube, which I constantly proclaim is making you dumber than a brick. And I hand them a book because this is going to help you grow your mind. I give them a different way of doing things than the world does it because I don't want them just to blend in. The same way your heavenly father, he challenges you. Jesus, your big brother, is writing you this letter to say, hey, where are you getting it wrong by looking just like the world looks? If you want to overcome apathy, write this down. You have to accept that what your father has for you. And sometimes it's a correction. But correction with repentance equals a redirection. And for some of you, Jesus is so frustrated because you're gone too far down the wrong road. And he's not mad at you. He madly loves you and he desires to return you to the purpose which he created you for. 
And so he sends a letter to your heart by the Holy Spirit that says, where are you, lukewarm? Where I've called you to be beneficial and blessed, I've got better for you. And so we stay in the love of the Father that never corrects us to try to cancel us. But through his son, Jesus has already canceled our sins on the cross so he can receive us and reshape us and redeem us into the fullness of what God has created for us. Accept what your father has for you. I love this prayer. I'm almost done. John chapter 17. This is Jesus is praying over his disciples. Think about that. Jesus' prayer. You know that's what he's doing for you right now? The Bible says that he's interceding for us on the right hand of the Father. Jesus is leaning in and being like, come on, problem solving God. I'm praying for this to break out in their life. I'm praying for them to wake up. I'm praying for them to get over the apathetic culture of the Christian world in America and become a part of the kingdom calling which I created them for. And he prays this over his disciples in John 17. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Now, does that mean everybody hates you? No. That means there's a spirit in this world. The enemy hates followers of Jesus. Why? We're sons and daughters of God. And so he's trying to cancel your calling. And one of the ways he does it on the sneak is to get you to look like everybody else. You don't belong in this world just as Jesus is, just as I didn't belong in this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, although sometimes that would be nice. I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. That's the real enemy. It ain't people. People are the promised land. People are why we press in. People are why we grow. People are why we get a different fit. People are why we give. People are why we serve. People are what we're after because it's what God's heart is after. It says they don't belong to this world any more than I do. But make them holy, or one translation, sanctify them by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice so they can be made holy by your truth. In other words, I've already paid for it all. I'm praying not only that for these disciples also, this is where we get connected to this, but whoever will believe in me through their message. The disciples that became the apostles were built different. Why? They're people that were bringing heaven to earth. And here we are 2,000 years later because of the obedience and sacrifice, the non-apathetic, all-in, non-lukewarm, but alive-in-Christ mentality of the disciples, here we are today. And just as we, 2,000 years later, have believed in this message, Jesus is praying for us as well. Praying enough to pause for a moment and write you a letter delivered directly by the Holy Spirit to the inbox of your heart making it custom crafted to the area where you have grown apathetic or you've gotten lethargic or you've become complacent. And not because he is mad, but no, he has something so much greater for your life to matter significantly. And so he's saying, if you would just wake up and change your mentality about the world, then you'll actually be able to minister to this world in a, in a way that, that will impact the world around you. Not just for a moment, not just for a grocery giveaway, not just for a kind interaction with someone, but ultimately for the eternal things. And then Jesus closes it all down with a passage. If you've never read Revelation 3, you've probably heard this part. Verse 20, here I am. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone, some of you, your mindset right now is like, I gotta get some stuff figured out in my life. No, no, this is for anyone and everyone. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'm gonna eat with that person. I'm gonna come have a meal with that person. One translation, old school says, I'm gonna sup with that person. Jesus saying, sup. Like, I wanna spend time with you. I want you to abide with me. I wanna abide with you. I wanna connect with you. I wanna help you. I wanna grow you. I wanna mature you. I wanna love on you. I wanna disciple you personally. I wanna speak to your heart individually and they will be with me. They'll be connected to the vine. They're gonna bear much fruit. We're gonna overcome apathy. Last thought is this, we gotta always keep the door open because Jesus is always knocking for more closeness, more connectivity. You don't wanna be lukewarm, open the door. Keep it open, never close it. It used to be more wide open when you were wide-eyed in the wonders of the goodness of God's grace than it is right now in the current status of your heart. But if we could be the kind of people, not perfect, but letting him perfect us by just keeping the door open for more intimacy and connectivity with him, friends, you will never get down to the lukewarm culture of the world. You will live up to the courageous calling that Jesus has commissioned you for. And this is the church that we're going to lead. The church that is alive in Christ, not for self, but in the service of Jesus, for the reaching of the many, for the discipling of the many, to bring heaven to earth for the many. Keep the door open. He's constantly knocking. What is he doing? He's patient. He's patiently and persistent. The words that he uses there, standing at the door, literally means, I've taken my stand. I'm not going to kick down the door. We know resurrected Jesus' gospel account can just walk through the walls. Like, there ain't no door that keeps Jesus out. He says, nope, this is where I've decided to stand. I don't push in, but I'm persistently asking. I'm persistently knocking. I'm persistently pleading, would you just let me in? I'm not here to correct, I'm here to comfort. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to connect. And in that connection and in that comforting and in that encouragement, it will correct and change all the areas of your life that Jesus wants to deal with. He's patient, he's loving, because he doesn't want to just give you a sermon, he wants to have supper with you. And he's vulnerable. This got me when I was studying this, like, here's the king of the universe, the prince of heaven, who's on the front porch, vulnerable. You don't have to let him in. He's asking to come in. You could stay lukewarm. You could stay apathetic. You could stay hidden. You could stay on the sidelines critiquing everybody else. You could do all that and still go to eternity, but you just, life won't matter for what it should matter for. You won't fulfill your godly, your God-given purpose. Us as a church, we will not fulfill our, our heavenly calling without all of us saying, hey, let's open the door up. Jesus is there in his place of vulnerability. He could shout, he could scream, he could walk right through the walls. He says, no, I'm gonna wait here and he's not obstinate, he's aggressively loving you, but he says, you've gotta open it up for yourself. The king of the universe just stands there saying, please let me in, I'm here for it. I wanna be with you. And yet we could just blend into the culture of the world. They will take Jesus for self when we need it in struggle seasons, but not connect with Jesus often and always like we're called to for the seasons that are yet to come. What in the world is going on? We've got to overcome apathy in the church. And we can critique everyone else or you could just say, Holy Spirit, come into my life. Jesus, I'm opening the door. What needs to change in me? Before we pray out, change the whole world around us. God, just change, change me. Let me buy from you real wealth.
what's really significant. Let me buy from you a new fit so I don't look like the world. I, I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. Let me buy from you a fresh vision, fresh purpose for my life so I can fulfill God's potential. Apathy is costing you greatly because it's stopping you from intimacy with Jesus. And he has more for you. Would you stand to your feet, church? I want to pray for you. Went a little longer than I should have. I appreciate your patience. But we want to take just a moment longer. If you could just stay in the room. Because I believe God wants to do some ministry to hearts and lives. I believe there's some knocking on doors happening right now. And I just want to say this. I might not know you yet. But God knows what he's after in your life. He has sent Jesus and the president of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit here right now. And he wants to get into that place. If you'll give him access granted, he'll change everything about you. But he starts it with a relationship and a close relationship. First, I want to pray for you as a church. Father God, I thank you for Kingdom City. Every guest that's here. I think that we heed the wake-up call, let the alarm clock of the Holy Spirit go off in every heart and mind where we have fallen asleep, where we maybe even unknowingly just fit into the world as if we're just one of them. But we're called to be different. We're called out, just like the apostles were sent out. We're called out so that we can bring the care and love of Jesus to the world around us. That there's a mission that's bigger than us. And you in this amazing divine mystery have chosen to use us. So just as you, Jesus, sent the letter to the church, would you custom craft the message to our heart right now? Where do we need to shake off apathy? Not live according to convenience and culture, but live up to the level of calling. And we don't do that just by a bold, aggressive prayer. We do that by closeness with Jesus. And Jesus, we're here today to say the door's open. The door's open. In fact, well, I'll, I'll, I'm not only going to leave the door unlocked, I'm going to open it myself, and I'm going to come and welcome you in. And I want to sit with you, and I want to connect with you, and I want to learn from you, and I want to trade off the things in this world for the things that you have for me. And God, I thank you for this church, that we don't just water things down, acting like that's, that's palatable to the world. No, we'd actually lift up the standard of Jesus which is to lovingly sacrifice for the world around us so that people can see not just a better way, the only way. The only way to real life is in Christ. Lord, I thank you. The wake-up call is not in a sermon. It's a connection with your Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you that apathy is far from us and passion for the purposes of God are rising up in us. And revival is right in front of us as we will step in to our part to play. But we don't do it by our own might, by our own power, but it's by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, come and work in our hearts right now. Unite us together in the name of Jesus. Stay in this moment of prayer. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed just to give space to the person next to you. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you have and you just know I've completely gone the other way. I've completely lived according to the world system. I've just traded the hierarchy of my life for what I see around me instead of the God that died, the Savior that died for me. I might believe in God. I might even believe in Jesus, but he's not at the throne of my heart. He's not number one in my life. And I'm choosing to change, kind of blending into the world with a little bit of Christianity to live a life fully devoted for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you've never said yes and prayed a salvation prayer, this is your moment. Jesus is knocking. 
Maybe you prayed the prayer before, but it's time to come back home. Open the door again to closeness and connectivity to the one who cares deeply for you. So much so, he died for you. No one looking around, if that is you, and you say, today is my day of new beginning for the first time or to return back to putting him first in your life. This is a salvation moment for you. And all I'm asking for you, we're gonna pray a prayer together as one family of faith, one, one big group in this room. But this is your own individual decision that no one else can make for you. If you're ready to receive Jesus and put him first and foremost in your life above everything else, can you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Kyle, that's me today. I need a fresh start. I need Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Beautiful. Ten. Awesome, awesome. Maybe that's you online. Maybe that's you at Lansing. You can put your hand down. Let's pray this prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. It's a prayer of grace. It's a prayer of new beginnings. Say it with me, everyone together. Say, thank you, God, for caring about me. So much so. You sent Jesus to save my life. I'm answering the door. I'm opening it wide. Jesus, come into my life. On the cross, my sins have already been paid for. The free gift of grace. It's mine. I receive it. Jesus, come close. I want to know you personally. Holy Spirit, you're invited in. Change me and fill me. From this moment on, I'm going after God. Help me change the world around me as I live for God. Jesus, I thank you. Your sacrifice is enough to save me, to change me, to restore me, and to redeem me. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And a celebratory church says amen.